Good morning, everybody. Happy Mondays. Welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's online political editor, Dan Bloom. Good morning, Dan. Morning. Better late than never, eh? Better late than never, but it's the demands of news, so that's okay. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. We will try and answer as many of them as possible. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to howl at the heavens instead. So, what have we got for you today? Well, the Mirror has splashed on the latest sex scandal to hit the Tory party, which has moved from being about one drunk, misbehaving MP to rebound onto the Prime Minister because of the way he's handled it. Now, for those of you who've been under a rock, last week, Deputy Chief Whip Chris Pincher, in an excellent piece of nominative determinism, was forced to resign after allegedly groping two young men at a Tory event. And number 10 let it be known soon after that this was doing the decent thing and Boris considered the matter now closed with no need to suspend the whip or any further disciplinary action. Cue outrage from many, including in his own party. And over the weekend, a very brutal set of papers revealed, I think it was 13 previous incidents dating back for a decade. Now, these are all just allegations at this stage. But Dan, this seems to have turned from an issue about one MP being to being sort of yet another party-wide rebellion at the Prime Minister's own morality or the way he decides these things. How much do we know how much worse this is going to get? Well, in terms of how much worse it gets in terms of allegations against Chris Pincher, of course, I wouldn't want to speculate on that. But in terms of how much it gets worse for Boris Johnson, uh, that could be a, a big problem for him. Because the key to this is 24 hours between kind of seven, eight o'clock on Thursday night when one of our uh, rival papers broke the story of um, Chris Pincher resigning and what had happened on, on Wednesday or allegedly happened. And then eventually on Friday evening when uh, the Tory whips finally decided to withdraw the whip from him. And in between you had all these anonymous briefings from number 10 kind of saying, you know, go easy on the guy. It's a tough time for him. There's a lot of exposure for him. And um, uh, it, it you know, Boris Johnson has accepted his apology. It was the decent thing to do, to resign, and that's the end of it. And this is a kind of pattern with Boris Johnson's Downing Street again and again. It's kind of style it out, um, essentially hope that the issue resolves itself, or a cynic would say hope that the issue goes away, um, without the need for kind of the most drastic action. And then the pressure builds from within the party. There were a huge number of angry Tory MPs on Friday saying uh, essentially that this... Uh, that he has to go, that he has to be suspended while he's investigated. Now what's happened is you've, we've had the briefing that we had on Friday from number 10 saying that the PM was not aware of any specific allegations uh, against Chris Pincher when he gave him the job of Deputy Chief Whip policing right. MPs' behaviour. So just the general a, ones unpacking then? that. Well, this is just it because it emerged over the weekend that the PM had joked, you know, Pincher, Pincher by name, Pincher by nature, kind of two years ago. And that very much hasn't been denied by number 10. So what you've got here is a situation where Boris Johnson seems to have known that there was something in the rumour mill, which there are about a lot of MPs, and it's sometimes not true, uh, and decided to give him the job anyway. And what they're falling back on now is almost as if Downing Street is this kind of HR compliant, brilliant beacon of public sector employment for all these political <laughs> cabinet jobs, saying, uh, well, you know, you can't refuse, it, it would be against, you know, his rights almost to sort of refuse him a job on the basis of speculation. And that's just not how politics works. I mean, you know, yeah. you get jobs on favours, on kind of uh, on 
all sorts and and you can be denied jobs for all sorts of reasons too so it's being a safe pair of hands and of course if you're eminently sackable for some reason to do with your private life then you're not a very safe pair of hands now herbie says they say an eaten mess is a dish best served cold is is that but and that's what boris has delivered a complete mess it's time he got his just desserts now, get into the questions. Tell us what you think. Do you think that um, Boris has handled this well? Do you think Boris has been merely complying with the rules and not being too cruel to someone that he didn't know specifics about? Let us know. Mike says, the defence Johnson knew nothing specific doesn't cut it. If there was any rumour of anything dodgy, an appointment or promotion shouldn't happen until it's investigated thoroughly. Nothing specific is deliberately turning a blind eye to potential wrongdoing. That's part of the problem, Mike, very definitely. And now ministers are having to go out this morning and defend this and all weekend. They're having a rather torrid time of it. And they're claiming, as you said, Dan, that it wouldn't have been fair to sack Pincher over unsubstantiated allegations, which is true. None of us would want to be sacked over things like that. that we haven't been proven that we've done. But they kind of skipped over the fact that he didn't have to be appointed twice to government jobs when those rumours about how sackable he might have been at some point in the future were circulating fairly widely in Westminster. But it's a fact, I think, unless I've got my timings wrong, that it was Theresa May who appointed him back in 2017. Then the first allegations were made public. And then he was so, so apparently cleared, or the allegations were found to be unsubstantiated, and reappointed two months later under Theresa May. But she was in a very weak position. She was trying to get Brexit through. She even let Charlie Elphick keep the whip for some votes, didn't she? Who was later convicted of um, sexual assault. Uh, but why does Boris, who we keep being told has this crushing mandate and a, an 80 strong majority, although that keeps being whittled away, why doesn't he just, he's a much stronger position than Theresa May was, why doesn't he just fire people? who are at this much risk of causing him trouble? Because that's the central political calculation, isn't it? A prime minister has to make, is how useful are these people going to be to me? How loyal are they going to be? And how much are they going to protect me? You, don't, you can't, people are going to damage him. He shouldn't have them in his government. Well, that's just it. And the general view in Westminster is that Boris Johnson has come down very much uh, with a lot of his appointments on the loyalty side. So there's a lot of Tory MPs who are kind of languish on, on the back benches who... Uh, yes, they consider themselves very competent, but, you know, other people consider them kind of veterans or operators or what have you, who wouldn't get it, who wouldn't be able to get a job in the Johnson government because he has put people who are loyal in his cabinet and in his kind of top team. And once you are loyal and willing to defend Boris Johnson and kind of be part of that team, then it takes it's an awfully high bar for you to actually be sort of thrown out of of that team. And this has been demonstrated sort of time and time again when Boris Johnson uh, has calls to, suspect, to to get rid of someone, he sort of says, no, the issue's closed, and then the person either goes of their own accord or an investigation is open, so that gives them the tipping off point uh, to do this. So th that's what a lot of MPs complain about. And the MPs who are a bit, you know, perhaps crueler about this are saying that loyalty is being promoted over kind of competence, general knowledge, uh, you know, any kind of political nous, all that sort of thing. But of course, they would say that, wouldn't they? Well, it kind of boils back down, I suppose, to this central issue that people have had with Boris throughout his, in his party, throughout his um, premiership, which is the issue of party management and how well he manages to figure out how it works and get them to do the right things and 
and then support him or buy loyalty or whatever or, or reward loyalty now keep asking us your questions what do you think about what boris should do i mean this these are at the moment uh, unsubstantiated allegations about potential criminal behavior it's not just sleaze it's just allegations of crime and mr pincher has got his lawyers watching people very closely so be careful what you say he's also seeking private medical attention for his drinking which is probably a good idea and a bit late but at least it isn't quite like the idea of bad old days of Tory sleaze down because there would probably been a Mrs Pincher to deal with as then as well back in the 20-30 years ago he'd have had some more problems to deal with but it does seem like the Prime Minister might have the worst end of this to some extent because on Wednesday he's giving evidence to the liaison committee the, the committee of committee chairman that scrutinise what he's going to be doing so what are the chances of letting him get through that unscathed uh, so the liaison committee tends to focus on kind of four often quite kind of bureaucratic, sensible topics, but it allows the MPs to kind of chime in with questions either way. And if there's anything in any way related to kind of ethics and governmental standards, we haven't had the topics through yet, as far as I know, uh, then the MPs will be able to use that as a chance to kind of jump in. So a couple of the ones who are maybe a bit more hostile to him, maybe some of the Labour ones and some of the Tory rebels, or perhaps um, chairman, the chairman of the Women and Equalities Committee, who will say, hang on a minute, you know, there's been all sorts of problems with um, uh, uh, with kind of scandals of sleaze and, and sexism and um, sexual alleged sexual assault and that kind of thing in Westminster. Yeah. I should say, actually... Um, uh, I am less excited uh, journalistically about the liaison committee uh, than I am about something next Wednesday, which is the vote um, to elect the committee, probably the day of electing the committee of the um, 1922 committee, sorry, the executive of the 1922 committee. The committee uh, of the committee. Of, the, committee. The, the committee of the committee, sorry. And, and it really is. Usually it's that boring. We never even report it. It doesn't matter. It's very functionary. However, this is the group that can change the rules or uh, amend or sort of slightly tweak the rules to allow an early uh, no confidence vote earlier than next June in Boris Johnson if there's enough momentum against him. And there are a lot of people running on a ticket to be able to change those rules to be able to get Boris, rid of Boris Johnson. And uh, there's been sort of rumours that the government is going to be putting up loyalists to try and counter them, but they're going to have a job on their hands because if you have a government job, you're not allowed on the executive of the 1922 committee and more than 120, 130 people have a government job. So they haven't got many loyal people left to choose from. So it's, it's not going to have a big effect. You know, they're not going to elect the executive have a vote the next day and get rid of Boris Johnson. You know, that's not how it works. But it's all about the sort of momentum, the sort of uh, uh, the ball of snow, whatever it is, middle of summer, you know, picking up speed and picking up momentum. You get the idea. The tumbleweed that's blowing through the Conservative Party just getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> uh, Mike says, does appointment by loyalty over adversity give Johnson a win-win? It means he's got built-in defenders in Cabinet plus the fact there's no decent potential successes in the frame. It denies people the opportunity to build a power base or get publicity for competent handling of their departments. It doesn't have so many success, potential successes and therefore, you know, he gets to be a bit more, uh, gets the credit himself. But I suppose the problem with that, Mike, is is that, like you, uh, Dan, is that what you've just said there, he's, he's so busy rewarding loyalty 
that he doesn't he's not able to spread the loyalists through the party system so in terms of party management and keeping um keeping that under control he doesn't have the one spare to do that at all and then of course as well it's like any other kind of it's kind of the worst kind of positive discrimination if the reason that you're recruiting people is because they are loyal you're not recruiting them because they're competent and good at what they're doing necessarily well speaking of loyalty that you know everyone knows now that 42 percent or 41 percent i haven't got the numbers in front of me um of his mps voted against him in that confidence vote what one month ago and we did something quite interesting we totaled up what all the mps had declared publicly about how they'd voted and what we found was that almost all of those uh, the, the, the number of those who'd said, yes, I voted for Boris Johnson was almost the same as the number who actually did. Um, and then if you took the very quite small number, maybe 50, who'd said, yeah, I voted against Boris Johnson, and the much larger number, about 100 or more, who didn't want to confirm either way how they voted, you got almost exactly the number who voted against him. So if you follow, there's a lot of MPs who kind of sat on the fence publicly but by sheer process of elimination, the vast majority of them must have voted against Boris Johnson. And mm. that is a kind of simmering problem in the background there, that these people weren't going over the top and attacking him in the media, but they all voted against him. And there were probably some ministers in that group as well. Exactly. People who uh, didn't want to resign their government job necessarily, but nevertheless voted to get rid of the boss, as uh, more than one person might do in the world. Now, Leslie says, would this behaviour presume you're talking about Chris Pincher's behaviour there, Leslie. Would this, would this behaviour be seen as a security risk? Very short answer to that is yes. Any MP that's just getting very drunk uh, in Westminster is a potential target for foreign agents. Um, if it's someone who is aware of secrets, whether that's about the party or the government, and this was a member of the government, then that causes huge problems. And then, of course, if he's engaged in sexual impropriety of some sort, there's a potential there for honey traps. Um, so, I mean, if, you know, if the Chinese and the Russians weren't flinging some people at him when he was in that kind of state, then they were missing a trick. So we'll have to, you know, perhaps in Moscow and Beijing, they're kicking themselves now, wishing they'd, uh, they'd gone for Pincher. Who knows? We'll have to find out, won't we, in the fullness of time. I dare say this is going to drag on a bit longer. Now, keep asking us your questions. We have to move on to another story of the day and to inside the paper. And the first day, uh, we've got the Mirror's got a week-long look at the situation of disabled people in Britain this week, uh, with an investigation today into the horrifying number of deaths and suicides linked to benefit sanctions and people being ruled fit to work when they are anything but. Now, Dan, these reforms were first suggested by Labour, but then made much, much more rigorous by Ian Dunning Smith under the Tories. And it says in this story that the DWP has been warned 40 times about life-threatening flaws by academics, coroners, and its own researchers, problems with the system for three decades and done nothing. That's successive governments have got this problem. But there, there does seem to be like a, a massive problem with the public's attitude to disabled people and benefits in this country, which is why we keep voting for governments that promise to crack down rather than help out. Um, and this series that we've got is going to be, it's been conceived by, it's going to be edited, written, photographed by disabled people in an effort to change minds about some of that. It might work for our readers, but is the government planning any reforms of its the way it treats disabled people? Uh, they've had all sorts of kind of green paper, white paper, that sort of thing, but reforms tend to be quite sort of um, incremental grinding, that sort of thing. 
I think what's being pointed to in this piece by um, John Pring, who is the sort of campaigning editor of the Disability News Service, he's essentially, if, if, if my coverage of DWP is a slight form in the DWP side, he's a much bigger one, essentially. He is constantly at them about this issue of people who have died um, when their benefits have been stopped or when they've had problems with the system. Um, and so what he's pointing to is a much bigger culture um, rather than the sort of individual policies, as you say, which was driven by um, the sort of rhetoric against sort of make, making sure there weren't strivers and scroungers, that sort of thing, at the early 2010s, which I think has kind of receded a little bit over the last few years, especially since COVID. We're, we're not seeing that much of that sort of public culture war, if you like, over people, over whether benefit claimants are, you know, bad people, which of course, you know, they're not, they're just people who've fallen on hard times, people who are disabled, people on low wages, etc. Um, but what we have seen is kind of the aftershocks and the continuation of some of this policy. And I was kind of pretty, you know, I wasn't to do with the writing of this story, but to see the face of um, Errol Graham uh, staring out at me at the, out of the paper, I covered that case um, as well as John Pring, and it was just absolutely harrowing. It's like one of the worst coroner's reports I've ever read. Um, he was essentially, um, he had severe mental illness. He didn't want to go outside. Uh, the DWP tried to contact him to say, look, mate, we haven't heard from you. We're stopping your ESA benefit. And he um, ceased contact with them. He ceased contact with family uh, and he starved to death. He was, he weighed uh, 30 kilograms, uh, sort of five stone when they found him. Uh, the only food in his cupboards was a couple of tins of fish from five years ago. Um, it was it, it, like he was found dead by bailiffs who knocked down his door. Um, and it was just absolutely shocking. And, mm. you know, the DWP said basically you have some people in very difficult situations. And this is me glibly paraphrasing them, but, you know, this sort of thing could always happen and we're doing our best to prevent it. But um, as um, Vince Maple, who I actually I used to uh, cover his uh, stuff because he's a Labour councillor in uh, in uh, Chatham in Kent, where I used to work. He said, this is just, you know, this is what a lot of people say. I've assisted more than 25 appeals and the vast majority win. The system needs urgent review. And that's true. Uh, PIP and ESA, two very different benefits, but both paid to people who are sort of sick, sick or disabled. Um, the people who take those cases to tribunal, about three quarters of them win their tribunals after they've been denied benefits by the DWP. Now, the DWP always says, you know, a lot of these cases bring new evidence at tribunal or they hear something that wasn't heard in the original case. But there's got to be something going vastly wrong there. And yeah. people have been saying that for many years and yeah. those rates are still stubbornly high. Yeah. Now, Glenn says the DWP forces the disabled people to go to court to be classed as disabled. Um, there is a lot of misunderstanding about disability. People like Errol who die uh, on their own, unseen, unnoticed, uh, mentally ill. You need to remember any one of us can get to be mentally ill. And if the way our mental health system is in this country, that it can drag a lot of people down if you don't get the right help or you don't have the family and support or love around you to try and pick you up after that. Um, and I think as well, we're just not very open about disability. We tend to think that it's someone in a wheelchair and they're all the way over there and they don't work and they don't want to work and they can't work. I know disabled people in wheelchairs who work night shifts, who work very hard. 
I have a very mild disability of epilepsy, which doesn't affect me day to day anymore, but it has done in the past. It's caused me a lot of problems in the past and it could in theory kill me one day if it decided to, and there's not much I can do about it or my neurologist can do about it. But um, I work and I run my own business and I have a family and I try to do lots of other things. And many disabled people, whether they're wearing a stoma bag, whether they've got a heart condition, whether they're mentally ill, They've got other things going on. They are not all scroungers. And I wish, and I'm very glad that we've got this series going on. And I hope that that kind of attitude changes a bit in society because um, we just tend to think that the disabled are a drain. We don't think about how much they produce as well and also what they have to go through. So I'm very glad the mirror's doing that this week. Now, keep asking us your questions. Uh, get into the comments. Let us know what you think about. Boris Johnson, how he's handling the Chris Pincher scandal. Uh, if there's more to come there, maybe we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and if you're, you're disabled and you've got some experiences in the system, get into the comments, let us know, and we'll try and wrap at the end. But first off, despite uh, everything you've heard so far, there is some good news in the world. There's only a little ickle, wickle, wickle bit of good news today, but we have found it for you, and here it is. Now, Today, elsewhere, there's going to be a series of go slows and protests on major motorways in protest at the tax on fuel. But there's one highways officer who probably wishes that had happened a bit sooner. Gavin Buffham had to dodge traffic on the M18 to get to the central reservation to rescue a kitten. Smudge, there she is. Uh, and the, he was, the kitten was understandably terrified. Uh, motorists had reported there was a, a kitten stuck on the central reservation. Gavin went and got it. It ended up needing two crews and a rolling roadblock in order to let Gavin get to the kitten and save it. The owner is now being sought. But Dan, I suppose, is this proof that not only are highways officers incredibly brave and loving and happy to risk their lives to go after a kitten, I don't know, perhaps the perhaps a few protests might might save a few animals' lives as well if we all drive a bit more slowly and carefully. A few foxes perhaps that don't get smudged on the roads. Uh, I mean, you could, you know, just tell us all to give up driving overnight. We could turn into a, a lovely cycling uh, utopia, but I'm not quite sure that would work for everyone. Well, no, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely story. Um, and I remember being on local papers and, you know, when you used to actually be allowed to call the firefighters and uh, and say, what did you do yesterday? Yeah. And they would tell you. It's amazing. Yeah. It's journalism. Didn't have to go through a press um, office, wasn't it great? I know. And um, the, the, obviously, as a local paper, you're always fascinated in the animal rescues because it touches a, a piece of people's hearts. And also, you know, the firefighters, just like you say with the highways officer, they'd be quite keen to talk about it because it'd be like, look, we're lovely guys. And they are. And, you know, yeah. everyone's just trying to do a good job. And it's, um, it's really nice that they went to so much effort to make sure that Smudge didn't. You know, yeah, I can, I can remember stories about, you know, cats being rescued from roofs and trees and stuff. And when you report, you know, they had three engines and two ladders and 16 fire crews and, and they were there for four days trying to tempt it down with raw chicken and stuff like this. Nobody ever complains that that's a waste of taxpayers' money. Nobody ever says that's too many firemen for one cat. I mean, come on. They would, though, if it was a, a, a drunk guy who was stuck on his own roof. Exactly. Uh, and and couldn't get down. Was... Then people would complain. Yeah. <laughs> if, the few, if the fuel protesters or Insulate Britain or something were stood in the middle of the M18 causing a rolling roadblock, they'd go, what? I've got to get to work. This is outrageous. Well, and the government's just there. passed a, the government's oh. passed a load of laws to criminalise them. Uh, so. <laughs> exactly. But kittens, no, kittens 
fine. That's all right. We should all be better. Perhaps we should remember there's 250,000 foxes die on our roads every year. Uh, and um, far more than are done by hunting. Perhaps we should just not kill so many foxes, speaking personally. Steve says, is it not the case that people have been sanctioned and unable to claim benefits, throwing up figures and more people back in work when the reality is less people are claiming but actually not working? I think Steve's talking about there about manipulation of the employment and the claimant figures because mm. they've changed the criteria for different things and you know they're saying more people on payrolls and actually it's self-employed people who've had to go PAYE because of different rule changes by the tax man and stuff. Um, the government is quite good at bending the, the figures a bit, aren't they? Uh, well, Boris Johnson has continually, he's got a bit better at it now, but he kept saying we have the, oh God, I've got to get this right. I think he said we have the highest employment and employment is higher than before covid and what he actually meant was highest payroll employment because uh like you say uh, there's a difference between um kind of payrolls which are don't count a lot of self-employed people and that kind of thing um and employment overall which basically unemployment is is record lows uh i don't want to uh, don't completely quote me on it but you know it's it's pretty much down at the lowest it's it's been for decades um, but that masks a few people who've sort of fallen out of the labour market and so aren't kind of looking for work and therefore aren't counted as unemployed. And the reasons for that, a lot of people are still trying to explore. Um, yeah. I've just gone dark in my face because the laptop has uh, decided to shut down. Like, I'm worry. still here. <laughs> um, yeah, they do. Some people just change and they just drop off the, the system. And also, got to bear in mind that if you do have a disability, sometimes that disability makes it harder for you to fight the system, and therefore you're less likely to appear than you do just drop out. Leslie says, when you're disabled, you become invisible, and a parcel that can be passed and kicked from pillar to post. I've tried to work, but each time I'm discriminated against, mainly by the DWP which means presumably sometimes, Leslie, it's your employers as well. Insurance to cover me at work is another issue. Thank you for highlighting the reality. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if we just treated everybody like if they wanted a job, have a job until, you know, something all around. Well, two-fifths two of people on universal credit, somewhere around that, have a job. So all this talk about we want to get people off welfare and into work, it's, it's, it's misleading because... Yes, a lot of people who are claiming benefits are not working, but a very, very large, uh, for good reasons sometimes, you know, and mm. a very uh, large number of them are working and they're working in such low wage jobs that they're having their wages topped up. And this is a system that's existed for sort of two decades because Gordon Brown brought in tax credits to kind of top up, you know, low wages, which obviously helps people, but then you know, it's almost like an excuse for companies to keep wages low. So that debate has been kind of teased out in the Tory party for a very long time. And, um, yeah. you know, there's still an awful lot of division about it. Yeah. Now, Roxanne, I think your comment's been cut off a bit, but we'll do our best with it. I work with chronic pain. I was diagnosed in August 2020, applied for PIP. I had to drop a job. That was in November 4th, 2021, and appealed to a tribunal. Um, but people told lots of untruths and you haven't had your diagnoses uh, it looks like passed on so you know that's that's two years that uh, Roxanne's been living with chronic pain it's one of those disabilities that people can't see and therefore they don't necessarily believe it exists 
Um, and then she's had to drop a job despite struggling on with it for more than a year. And now she's appealing and that's going on and on. And in the meantime, heaven knows how much she's managing to pay for herself. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a government or a party that went into general election that said, you know what, we're not going to crack down on people. We're going to help them out. Help out, not crack down. That would be good, wouldn't it? There you go, Kia. There's a slogan for you. Don't crack down, just help out. Something like that. Um, thank you, Dan, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. Uh, we're going to be back again on Wednesday. And I do believe the Mirror video page is also going to be carrying Boris Johnson's appearance at the Liaison Committee. So if you fancy some uh, fancy some scrutiny of the Prime Minister, uh, keep an eye out for that. That'll be coming on Wednesday. Thanks very much, everybody. See you then. Bye-bye.